I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, I'm joined by Serena Siddhanti, the co-founder of the innovative South Asian fashion platform, Ria Collective. Stay tuned. So in thinking of the real theme of this show, generating confidence in an idea and having the trust to believe in yourself often requires risk and being bold. Speaking of being bold, thanks for following us on social media at MyGoodFraint, for listening on radio and subscribing to the podcast, and for telling your friends about the show. So we all make bold moves. Recently, I actually acknowledged and congratulated a Stanford grad, and this morning, the Americano was black, no cream. Okay, so context and impact matter, but as we've shared here before, some truly incredible people are taking risky ideas and boldly turning them into movements. For Serena Siddhanti, this meant following her passion to help co-found Ria Collective with her best friend Arian Agrawal. After college at MIT and business school at Harvard, working in financial technology and in Silicon Valley, she embarked on bridging the gap between culture and living her daily experience through technology. Ria Collective helps make elegant South Asian fashion more accessible in the U.S. through their unique purchase or rent and buyback platform. The idea of affordable custom-fitted wear coming directly from designers in India has been attractive to a growing South Asian American community and anyone attached to it, including investors. We caught up recently to talk about her journey and about Ria Collective's mission. Of course, I showed up on Zoom in my absolute best kurta and vest. I am decked out in some fine, formal Indian wedding wear, which I thought that I would just sort of, you know, I'm going to commit. I'm all in to this whole idea. You look great. I was going to comment on that. You look awesome. Truly. Is that the eventual goal to just have everyone think about making Indian formal wear a everyday elegance? 100% that's the goal. I mean, you could call it making South Asian fashion mainstream, although I don't like the word mainstream because mainstream is us thinking from the Western mindset that what's Western is mainstream when that is actually not the case. So when we take the global mindset and the global approach, South Asian fashion, I would say elevating it to the global stage that it deserves. Um, South Asian fashion historically is some of the most intricate um and well-made and manufactured fashion in the world. So many high-end designers get their clothing from South Asian artisans because of that reason. Many people don't know that. We want to elevate that story um, and make it front and center because we think South Asian fashion deserves that. Well, so how did this aha moment for you and your co-founder, how did that happen in creating a vehicle like Ria? to allow for more people to have access and for this to be more than just a, a, a scramble to find this kind of, you know, these kinds of items. Yeah. You know, when you use the phrase aha moment, there's been two different aha moments for us along the way. The first one that inspired us to start Ria Collective was my own wedding. Mm. Um, so this was in 2015. And I kind of followed the formula, which is me as the bride and my groom. We actually flew to India for like two weeks each 
to buy all of the outfits, somehow get them shipped back here, get some of them custom made to the point where I didn't see that dress in person till it arrived like a few weeks before my wedding. Just this kind of really crazy, expensive, kind of difficult experience. There is something beautiful in that experience too. It's kind of a rite of passage to go to India before your wedding. And there's something fun about it, but it was really stressful and it was expensive and it didn't fit into my schedule and all these things. So that was a, a moment for me where I said, you know, this is something I am so looking forward to my wedding. I've been looking forward to it for years. And this kind of experience is taking away from what I really deem as like this beautiful cross-cultural event. And at the same time for my wedding, my guests, that was probably even bigger of an aha moment. The brides expect to spend a lot of time on their outfits and they do that one way or another. The guests were so excited, whether they were Daisy or not Daisy, to wear Daisy clothing. Um, they almost many of them I hadn't even realized were waiting for their first Indian wedding to be able to like appropriately wear the clothing, and they just couldn't find it anywhere. And if they did, it was super expensive, or maybe it was really bad quality. So one woman tells the story of driving around the Bay Area to lots of basements of people's houses and like looking for clothes there, and and then God bless, that's the only way we've been able to get that clothing so far today, you know, and so. It kind of between all of this, it dawned on me and my best friend and co-founder, Arian, that and she was attending this wedding. We both kind of after the wedding, we kept saying to each other, somebody's got to do it better. Like somebody has to rent this clothing, make it easy, make it convenient. And we didn't think it would be us, by the way. We were just saying somebody should do it. And but we found ourselves talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. And my mom actually came, um, I think for my birthday, probably six, seven months after the wedding. And she said, you guys should just do it. Like, if you've been talking about it this much, you guys should do it. Right. And we kind of looked at each other. We're like, you know what? And we started talking about like, what would we need to do it? Yeah. Like if we got the clothes, a little this, that, and that's how it started. It started as a side business and the rest kind of took off from there. Yeah. Um, and then I won't go into as much detail about the second aha moment, but suffice to say, we started Ria as solving a problem, which was the wedding, getting stuff for weddings. And it turned into a passion for the opportunity to elevate South Asian fashion. When we started looking further into what is South Asian fashion, we ourselves went through a journey of discovering how beautiful, how intricate this fashion is and kind of saying to ourselves, we just want to wear that. Like, why are we even shopping for anything else when this is what we want to wear? And so that blossomed from there into like an even deeper connection that we had with the business. I wonder, I mean, in pre-RIA, if you will, yeah. and even not in, in our, say, California culture or in, in North America or areas where things are a little perhaps more sparse um, than right. obviously in South Asia or in India, does it, does Ria kind of exist organically in people's communities? And because there's that access to your neighbors, your friends, the shops yeah. that, that yeah. you can actually have this idea of just like, oh, I'll just borrow my my friend's uh, dress or my friend's shoes or something like yes, that. Yes, that's absolutely right. The borrow concept has been the the, the ruler um, in the places where it's less, where it's more sparse. I think the major issue with that 
is part of the beauty of South Asian clothing is that sizing and fit is everything in this type of, especially for the women. Yeah. It is, you know, the way those garments are designed other than maybe the Saudi, but really all of the rest of them, it has to fit you extremely well. So it's actually, you know, when you see a borrowed garment, cause there's a lot of pins on that garment always, you know, <laughs> a lot of like six different pins in different places and that's fine. But in order to feel the way we want our customers to feel when they wear this clothing, which is confident and comfortable, you really do have to have that fit. And I think that's where borrowing, uh, you know, isn't as good or whatever, but still it's sustainable. So I like that. It's like, instead of going out and buying something new every time, please don't do that because a lot of people have things in their closets that you can also like work off of, you know? And I think that's also where you're right. Rio was born is this idea that, okay, I just had my wedding. I have 10 outfits I'm never going to wear again. Where can I put them to good use for somebody else? One thing that you mentioned, you know, clothing can sometimes, and for that matter, often be the sort of first glimpse and maybe the lasting ripple impression of a culture. So, and particularly for those who are getting introduced to um, South Asian and Indian fashion for the first time, how does it feel to, in fact, be kind of the vehicle that transcend the operational goal of renting or selling fashion. But like you said, really highlighting and amplifying the tradition and the history and the elegance behind Indian fashion. It feels amazing um, because it has amplified my own pride and knowledge about my culture um, from doing this. So, I mean, first of all, I didn't realize how much I knew just growing up in this culture. And I also didn't realize how much I had yet to learn. So when I, we as me as an Indian, like I take for granted so much of what I know about all of the different types of outfits, what's appropriate, what colors can be worn, whether jewelry is like too much or that's part of what you wear. And it just came flowing out of me when we would have non-Desi customers and we have a lot of them come in to rent or buy outfits and looking to us as advisors on how this works and really being afraid of not wanting to appropriate or offend in any way that that's how they feel. And so us kind of being the gateway to this culture. And when I, at first we did it just casually. And after a while we realized like we're giving the same spiel every time we should kind of like build this into the product, you know, and it ended up being really fun because it's when they learn about it and you feel like, and so you'll see a lot of our taglines are talk about the joy and the spark of sharing culture. One of life's greatest joys being sharing your culture. And I think we as Americans get to do that more than anybody else in many ways. You know, we're as American Indians, we're doing that all the time. Like yeah. I am, I guess, culturally speaking, North Indian. And I didn't really realize until I started getting deeper into what are all the different kinds of Indian or South Asian weddings in the U.S. That is not, you know, us all wearing red and gold langas. That is not even true that us all right. wear red and gold langas. You yeah. know, there's so many different things that people wear to weddings and and just learning about that has been really exciting and fun for me in a way to connect with the culture. It's almost like you're serving as a docent, if you will, of someone kind of going through or even like uh, allowing for that concierge tour of someone's prospective Indian clothing closet. Have there been any major, even for yourself, sort of surprises or even, you know, things that you, that you learned maybe about yourself when mm. it comes to kind of curating this, this tour for someone? I have learned about my stance on appropriation. That is something we've had to 
really dig into if we are the culture bearers and the gatekeepers or like, you know, kind of standing at the forefront of this culture and educating and all, we also have a lot of responsibility with that. And so whenever I would get asked, you know, if you guys are trying to make South Asian fashion, you know, on the global stage or mainstream, does that mean that I could wear a Langa to prom and say, yeah, it's a crop top and a skirt. And I was like, oh, no, that doesn't feel right at all. The crop top and skirt part of it. But then someone will say, you know, me as a non-Indian, can I attend an Indian wedding in this? And I would say, yeah, oh, yeah, of course, of course. So I've had to really go deep into that journey of like, what is my stance and our stance as Rhea on when is it okay and not okay? And we're doing this for South Asian culture. You know, there's so many ways in which the appropriation conversation is playing out all over. And what we have come down to is, you know, the phrase we use is the difference between appropriation and appreciation is education, which means if you want to go to prom in a langa and you're willing to tell every person who compliments your outfit, that is an Indian outfit called a langa designed by this artisan. I actually really support that. Um, and I say more power to you because you're elevating and representing this fashion. If you wear it and you call it something else, or you're not sure what you're wearing, or you're not sure why you're wearing it, then it can be appropriation or you're calling it something westernized, um, if that makes sense. So I think we've kind of really taken that mantle up of if that is the difference, then educating is our job. Um, And I've had to learn a lot. The hardest part of that, right, is if there's no education or that backstory that lives with the end user, then it's a it's a dead end, right? I mean, yeah, it yeah. sort of stops um, unless that education is there. And, and if that's the hardest part of taking the culture further with the the garment or the piece of clothing, what's the hardest part of, in some ways, operationalizing that? What's the hardest part of building a supply chain for even that that linga to exist in the hands of someone? It's hard all around. I would say it's hard all around. It is an operational, you use the right word. It is an operational issue more than anything else. The the biggest thing is that this clothing has to come from India. So we are trying to also another kind of core mission of ours. We're trying to do this in the most sustainable way we possibly can. And one of the beauties that I've also learned along the way about South Asian clothing is it is inherently incredibly sustainable. The first way in which that's true is that Every piece of formal South Asian clothing in India, for example, is made to order, meaning it is only made once you order that piece. There is no store with like a thousand items sitting there and then they hope it sells and the rest has to go to landfills. That does not exist. And that's kind of revolutionary, actually, when you think about it, like a lot of people at the forefront of retail now are talking about made to order being the kind of the future. I'm like, oh, well, we've been doing that forever in South Asian culture. Everything's made to order because it's custom made to your sizes. What that means for Rhea is that if somebody orders a new piece from us, it needs to, and they're ordering it almost always for a wedding. So they need it by a certain day and not a day later. And it needs to come from India in their sizes. So we have done a lot of really deep work with our suppliers in India to really get down to like, how can we get someone a dress? You make it to their sizes, ship it, and they receive it all in two, two and a half weeks at the, you know, at the bare minimum. How can we get it down to that? And so that's been really fun and exciting um, and also challenging. And then the other part is the rental portion of it. So if someone gives it back, they buy it, but then they want us to buy it back. And then we're going to sell it to the next customer. It needs to be dry cleaned. 
it needs to be, um, you know, untailored if it was tailored and all that stuff. So that's an ever evolving process that I think we continue to innovate on, but it is challenging. And that's why I don't think anybody's really done it at our scale till today. Right. And be, and maybe because it's so ubiquitously available in that format in India and South Asia, that duplicating that is, you know, something that is not going to come, not without its iterations and its evolutions, I'm sure. Absolutely right. Yep. Is there ever a risk that creating an ease to, to rent something may actually offer the impression that clothing is a costume rather than sort of a, a timeless piece of communication or a timeless emblem. That's so such a great point. So this is I'm sorry that I'm taking your questions are so good that I'm taking some of them and it's bringing up so many thoughts like as I'm going. So but another evolution we've had in the two years since we started RIA is that rent in its classic form is actually not the best experience for our customers. And it's also not the best for South Asian fashion or the designers. It's sort of... So we used to do the classic rent the runway model. We actually bought a lot of stuff from India and housed it here in San Francisco. And people would rent it for just a weekend and we would send it, they would send it back. And that's what we did. We have changed that model completely. Where now we say, you are going, everybody, you're going to buy the outfit up front. And later on, if you want to sell it back to us, we will, you can sell it back for 50% of the price. And you will either send it to me or you will send it directly to the next customer. Part of that also, it's more sustainable. All the shipping with rental back and forth is also not the best. Um, People think it's a lot more sustainable. It's not necessarily. But um, to your question, I like that because again, South Asian fashion is designed to be bought. Yeah. It's designed to be bought because you can tailor it to your sizes and it's always, there's margin. So you can, as you change sizes, which you will, you can continue to um, wear that outfit. So yeah, we want people to buy it. And what's interesting is we have a lot of customers who say, I want to rent an outfit and then they buy it up front and we never hear from them again because they love it and they keep the outfit. I do think there's a real sort of power to that, to to sort of pivoting. It just made sense. And frankly, the South Asian customers never really wanted to rent. They were like, if I find something I love, I want to keep it because I have 10 other weddings to go to and I'll rewear it for something. And rewear is the best, most sustainable way for this fashion to exist is like you wear it multiple times. So we wanted to cater to all customers and that's where we kind of changed to this, like buy it first and then you can sell it back model. If in that way, you guys have been able to quickly pivot to make things more sustainable, make things where there's always this understanding and thoughtfulness to both culture and the principles of creating a solution for a problem, What's been your sort of proudest reflection so far in sort of thinking about uh, co-founding this RIA Collective? And and does that proud reflection in some ways inform how what, what your next sort of steps are here? When you said, what is your proudest reflection? I mean, I have to say that for me, the proudest thing has been the building of this business with my best friend. It's really about who I've done it with. My co-founder, you know, business partner, whatever you want to call it, but really my sister um, who we've kind of like 
people always say don't co-found with your best friend. And we just, I think are the complete opposite that we've just had so much fun on this journey. It's been hard. COVID hit our business hard, which we can talk about too. I mean, it's very hard to start a business, not a rental clothing, rental business for weddings nine months before COVID and still be standing here today and still be ready to rent dresses. I mean, we've been through a lot, Um, but the fact that we've been through that and we're still the team that we are and ready to like tackle this opportunity. I'm really proud of that. There's a few moments that come to mind where we've brought South Asian fashion to a stage that it just normally isn't on a couple examples that come to mind. So a feature piece was written about us in Vogue, um, in February, 2020. And that was really a moment. There's a huge picture. The feature picture of that article is me and Arian in in Indian clothing. And it just felt so cool to see us in full Indian garb in Vogue and know that like we belong there. And that made so much sense to us. I mean, we on a very different side of the spectrum, we were in Y Combinator, the startup accelerator, um, January through March, 2020. And it was so funny because everyone was just like, we just never heard of a business like yours, you know, everyone's doing these like B2B SaaS companies and all these awesome other things and crypto and gaming. And then there's us and we just stuck out so much. And it was such a prideful moment. We would wear our Indian clothing to a lot of the YC events. And it just felt like, you know, bringing a conversation or, or something that people relate to as maybe like traditional and therefore not exciting or modern or new and bringing this new like twist to it. And I think all those moments, um, and then in a couple of weeks, we're actually going on the heels of New York Fashion Week. We're throwing a fashion show in New York on South Asian fashion. Um, and I am part of that is exactly this. It's, you know, why should Fashion Week be really just focused on Western designers? Um, so a lot of those moments for me have been like changing the conversation and doing something Yeah, I'm really proud of. You know, one thing that comes to mind is, do we ever expect to see Indian fashion as a section at Target? You know, do we do we find ourselves on sort of the cusp of that availability and accessibility, whether we call it mainstream or whether we call it just open access? Is that is that somewhere on the horizon? Hundred percent. Walmart has partnered with Mintra, the Indian e-commerce company, and was stocking in Canada Salvar Kameez in Walmart. So we are right there on the edge of this explosion, I think, of South Asian fashion. And it will start with being access to people who already know about it and want to access it. But then if you're non-Desi and you're walking through Walmart and you see this thing, you're like, that looks comfortable. It's going to turn into mainstream. It's going to, that is my divergent view of the world, you could call it. And actually two years ago when we started RIA, it was much more divergent, that view, than it is now. It would surprise investors a lot when we would say like, this is where things are going. Now it's much more believable and viable because you see, especially media, with family karma, Indian matchmaking, never have I ever, these shows on Netflix and Bravo where you're looking at like people wearing Indian clothing on TV. If If you've hit that moment, there is a huge inflection coming, I think. Is it just as important then that if you're walking down an aisle in Walmart, and as you said, a companion education piece there to make sure that the narrative is being written in a certain way, if that moment is upon us, then how important is it for the backstories and the education to also be there with it? So important. It's so important. And I think 
every brand who's going to try this is going to stumble a little bit in the beginning. I mean, everyone from ASOS to Rent the Runway, um, these you know bigger fashion companies here in the U.S. has tried Indian clothing, and you know, every, I think every single one is learning as we go. And and kudos to them for you know putting having that representative view and lens on the world. Um, but I think, yeah, we all have to do it in a really responsible way um, that's explaining the fashion. And by the way, this is not just new. I, I think a lot about even stores like anthropology and free people and them. I mean, right. those are many of the clothes they sell are Indian, straight up Indian patterns and Indian silhouettes and stuff like that. I think there's an interesting conversation looking back historically on where that hasn't been done well. Sure. Um, and sure. Calling it out more and, and, yeah, you know, not necessarily labeling, labeling it, but ensuring that there is some pride in some ways to, you know, Absolutely. what has pre existed. Absolutely. As we exit the pandemic, hopefully soon is that the, as the process has started and more weddings and events happen and, and this engagement with Indian culture is, is blossoming. How do you hope the, relationship develops for RIA consumers? And are there in some ways kind of accelerators for trust here? Mm -hmm. What's clear to me is that over the COVID period, the pandemic, there were kind of two pandemics happening. I mean, there's two very big things happening. There was the COVID pandemic and there was the like Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, my question is, my answer is going to relate to your question. The, the Black Lives Matter movement was so important, not only for the Black population in the United States, but even for other minority populations to have conversations about who they are and how they are recognized in society. And so it has become all the more part of the conversation to buy Indian designs and Indian clothing from India in 2020 than ever before. I think we were, I mean, many others and us were in 2019, just a year before, kind of screaming from the rooftops, like buy from Indian designers. Like if you're going to buy something that looks Indian or whatever, like support Indian bodyguards, Indian artisans, Indian designers. And it was kind of unclear why, when you can get like kind of maybe something similar for cheaper here. Sure. But now the idea of like who made that garment, I mean, I'm, you know, making an analogy to the BLM movement, but the idea of buying from black owned businesses, like we've sure. become much more attuned to like who owns that business matters, where the money is going matters. Yeah. Um, and that same analogy plays out with the Indian clothing and buying from, from the designer again, because of the education, but also because of where the money is going to and who you're supporting with your dollars. So I think that's important. I should say there, there are incredible American Indian designers creating beautiful designs as well. Um, and this is not to say they should not be supported. They should. Well, Rhea is specifically working with designers based in India, but there are many others to support. But just knowing that not that idea of trusting and knowing where your dollars are going, I think that's that's changed coming out of the pandemic. It's something people are so much more aware of. I saw a tweet over 2020 that sticks with me. It was something like, and it was during the lockdown. Is it now obvious that like schools was never about education? Like restaurants were never about eating food. It's like we were, it was always about connecting with people. Yeah. I had this huge moment in the first wedding I went to post pandemic, just a few weeks back, my cousin's wedding where I was like, and weddings were never about the legal process of getting married. 
Right. Weddings are this like incredibly joyous event where you are coming together with people from around the world that you haven't seen and you're celebrating in our case for three or four days and yeah. on end and dancing and singing and eating food. And it's actually this really beautiful thing. And I think before the pandemic, people of a certain age that go to a wedding every two months kind of got almost sick of weddings. Like I've got another wedding. I have to yeah. pay. I have to go here. I have to do that. And now I see this and, and clothing was part of that. It's like, I need to get an outfit. I have 10 of them. I need another one. Now it's this huge change. That's like, I get to wear an outfit. Like I get to dress up. I get to like buy something that really means something to me and look my best and take all these photos with my best friends. And so I do see people even more treasuring those experiences and like clothing as part of that experience coming out of the pandemic. And I wonder if because of that renewal of what it feels like, that connection, that feeling that they're they're treasuring the experience and the clothes that they wear, that that hopefully Rhea sounds like and, and your you know ethos here sounds like it, it's a trustworthy one. It's one that people can rely upon. And they can certainly take that and feel very not just comfortable with it, but really proud of it. That's you said it that you said it right on. I think part of us being a brand company based here in the US, but working with Indian designers is to provide that trust because it is hard if you're here to order on WhatsApp from a designer you've never seen or met in India and just hope the item arrives. It's, there's a lot of trust pillars that you need to cross to get there. But if you're like, I have the phone number and contact information of this startup based in San Francisco, like I'm getting that outfit. And if it doesn't, they're going to figure something out. You know, that gives people the trust that sometimes you need to like put push by on that item. I think we're, we're finding more and more reasons to, to trust that you'll be the ambassador for Indian fashion, not only at weddings, but for hopefully more than that uh, real soon and, and with great success. Thank you so much for being on and, and wishing you nothing but the best. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this and love loved being a part of it. Thanks again. Thanks so much, Serena. And please check out more at RiaCollective.com. And following Fashion Week, we can't wait for Ria Runway happening in New York on September 23rd. A big, big shout out to my friend Joyce for the connection. You'll always be a Norwood neighbor as far as I'm concerned. Till next time, I'm Abhay Dandekar. Hi, this is Hina from Being Bramp, and you can check out RuckusAvenueRadio.com for more information about the latest station programming and more. 